Did you hear the big news? We started a private university. We are rolling out a new design certificate program and a master's degree program along with our Design Suite Mastermind. We have new enrollment dates coming up for these programs. And if you want to watch a 10-minute video and learn more, go to designsuitecourses.com learn. Hi guys, today I am here with my friend and she's actually gonna be my new CPA, um, Kimberly Tara. She is from the Tara CPA firm, very, very original. We were laughing about it because we you have to that. put your name and the word CPA in it. So. so many rules, so many rules to follow. Anyway, this is gonna be not a deep dive. This is what it's gonna be is actually helping those of you who are brand new to dealing with taxes, make you feel a little bit more comfortable with what you're dealing with. Cause I do, I do work with enough designers and they're like nervous about it. How do I write things off? What should I do? And I, I think Kimberly is going to help you feel much more at ease, explain a lot of different things and even give you access to a free guide here at the end. So just hold on. I think you are going to love this episode. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to, I know I'm such a nerd, like nobody usually wants to talk about like taxes and business finances, but I'm just, I love talking about it. I think it's such an important conversation. So thank you for holding the space for us to, to have this conversation for, for your students and your listeners. I think, I think this is going to be really good for them to hear. Yeah. I just remember getting started and just being scared. Like, wait, what, what do I write off and how do I keep track of it? And QuickBooks seems so intimidating, but we just talked about like, if you don't have a lot of expenses or you're not even making a lot of money at the beginning, what would you suggest? I, I don't think that you need to go the QuickBooks route. Right. And, and I'm going to be honest that I don't think any of the Intuit products are as user-friendly as they advertise them to be. Right. Um, so let's start with that. But I think that it is more than reasonable to just start with a really good Excel spreadsheet, Google spreadsheet. I actually still work in Excel, but a Google spreadsheet and just keep track of your income and your expenses. And what I always suggest is it's better to put something on there if you're unsure, if you're like, I don't know if this is a deductible expense for my business or not, put it on there. Because at the end of the year, when you, if you work with a professional or when you're figuring these things out, it's so much easier to say, no, that's not a business expense than to go back and figure out what you've forgotten to put on your spreadsheet. Because, you know, even though you should be keeping up with everything throughout the year, I understand that sometimes we get a little sidetracked as business owners and it's maybe January before you're doing all of your finances for the previous year. So you're not going to remember what that expense was the previous April. So just list everything, keep track of it as you go, maybe set a one hour block on your calendar at the end of the month or at the beginning of the next month to go through and just record everything and just, just keep up with it, even if it's in an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I, I use Excel, Excel spreadsheets. Well, or just Google spreadsheets for mm -hmm. probably the first five years of my business, yeah. even when I was actually into multiple six figures, because I just didn't have a lot of expenses. It was mm -hmm. like the Adobe products, the software, like things that I knew for sure. Right. And then there was like all this gray zone that I would like think about and be like, do I need to put those on? And I would just put them on at the end of the year. My CPA would take a peek at it and we'd kind of figure it out as we were going. Exactly. exactly. Now, one, one of the things that you talk about is that there are different levels of CPAs. Mm -hmm. So will you talk a little bit about that? Because some of you might be out there being like, I don't know how to choose a CPA. And it feels really scary to choose one. 
Talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So I have, a, I actually have a three-step process. So the first step in the process is to figure out who you need, what type, right? Because people throw out this, this accountant, CPA, they, they throw out these words, but what does it actually mean? And who do you actually need as a business owner, as an individual? So you might hear bookkeeper. So I want to start with that. So bookkeepers, will sometimes call themselves accountants. Sometimes bookkeepers will call themselves specifically bookkeepers and say, you need to find an accountant. And then you're thinking in your head, but I have you, what do I need an accountant for? So all of these words get thrown around and you're like, but who do I need? Who do I start with? Where do I go first? And so that is my my first step in the process is figure out who do you need for your business? Do you need a bookkeeper? I would say that most business owners, that should probably be the first financial professional that you work with is some sort of bookkeeper who is going to help you keep track of your income and your expenses and get you on a rhythm where you are being mindful of your numbers month in and month out, because that is truly the first step in understanding your numbers, understanding your business, and then being able to make data data driven decisions or work with a high level strategist. Um, so I think a bookkeeper is the first person. What does a bookkeeper with. actually do? So the bookkeeper should be assisting you with tracking your revenue and expenses, preferably on a monthly basis. There are some bookkeepers who offer that on a quarterly basis if you're um, considered more like a micro business, um, but they should be assisting you with timely tracking that revenue and expenses and making sure that they're categorized properly, right? So that that you're, if you're calling something um, an office expense, it's an office expense. If something is a meal that might be eligible for a 100% deduction instead of the typical 50%. So they should be helping you navigate more of those um, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month revenues and expenses. That's what your bookkeeper should be helping you with. They're really going to get you paying attention to your numbers and doing that on a consistent monthly basis and not waiting until the end of the year. So that's, and that's, that's why I say that that's a good first financial professional, because really I'll get into what I do a little bit, but I can't do my job until you have your numbers and you have your accurate numbers and timely numbers, those high level strategies, those, those making decisions, you need the numbers to be able to do that. And most business owners, like you said, they're either scared or they don't understand or they're overwhelmed. Or let's be honest, especially when you're new in business, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? You're you're doing the marketing, you're doing the client services, you're you're doing the accounting, you're doing all the things. And what I have found with new business owners, shoot, all business owners, the accounting usually falls to the bottom of the to-do list because it, it, they don't want to do it. It's scary. It's overwhelming. They don't understand it. So when you've worked eight or 10 hours all day and you need to sit down at your computer at nine o'clock at night to categorize all of your expenses, you're like, I'll just do it tomorrow. But then tomorrow turns into the next day and the next day. And before you know it, it's tax filing time and you don't actually have any of your numbers. So that's why I think a bookkeeper is a really important first first hire. Yeah. I would say like, that was me for years, you guys. Like I just put it off. And I think I, we got to a point where I was like every six months, like June rolled around and I was like, Oh, I better know my numbers. And I would like put all my stuff in, get it all going. And then again, in December, it was like me rushing to get where I needed to go to figure out what it is. I'm going to tell you that 
for, it's so funny that you're saying a bookkeeper is the first one, because I think I went the opposite way and okay. I did it all wrong. And so I started almost with a CPA and figured out and went backwards. And I will say to this day, even though we have actually a relatively big company, I actually am still the one who goes in and allocates where everything goes. And then I have an accountant who comes in and what's it called when you make sure the books match your bank accounts? Oh, reconcile. Thank you. Yep. She reconciles the books to make sure I've done what it is okay. correct. So yeah. she does that. And then we have the CPA then who takes care of the next, but it's only because I got really good in the early years of mm-hmm. going through my own expenses and knowing exactly where everything was. Yes. And if you do it on a consistent basis and you don't let it go for six months at a time, right, then I think that there's nothing wrong with the business owner doing it because I actually re- really believe in education as the CEO of your business that you need to, you can't just pawn it off onto a bookkeeper and say, oh, such and such is doing it. You still need to understand and you need to be reviewing it. But the reality is most business owners are not doing what you were doing. And so it just, it keeps going and going and they're never looking at it. And so if you, if you feel like that's you, I would maybe, I would maybe encourage you to see if, if a bookkeeper is in your budget to see how you can outsource that and start getting on top of your numbers. Because usually when you start working with a bookkeeper and you're being more mindful of the numbers, things actually start to improve because you're not um, missing. Maybe there's a subscription that you're paying $100 a month for and you don't realize it, right? So little things like that can really add up. And those are some of the benefits of having a bookkeeper on your team. Yeah, that's amazing. So good. Okay. So yeah. did we go through all the steps? Okay. So we didn't go through all of them. Yeah. Okay. So we're so still like, I think the, we hit one. <laughs> yeah, we hit one. Um, So know that there are bookkeepers. Then you might have some accountants who are payroll specialists out there. All they do is payroll. Then you have tax preparers, which when you think taxes, that's who you're thinking of as somebody who just prepares the tax return for you, right? And then you have people like me who are tax strategists. And so I take it to the next level and say, but how do we save you more money. I'm also um, a, a, a CFO, which is a chief financial officer. And that's because a lot of small business owners can't afford to have a full-time CFO, but they need someone who can help them understand the numbers and digest the numbers and make decisions based off of the numbers. So you have all of these different things. And then we could get into a whole different world of CPAs where it's auditors and things like that, but you're not going to need anybody like that in your small business. But what I want you to come away from step one with is just don't hear the word CPA and think, oh, I don't need that yet. Or, oh, that person could help me. We're not all created alike. And so you first need to find, do you need a bookkeeper? Do you need a fractional CFO? Do you need a tax strategist? Do you need a tax preparer? What is it that you need for your business right here, right now, and for the short-term goals that you're trying to achieve? So that's step one. Step two is seeing if they're qualified for whatever you're hiring them to do, are they qualified? Because what I have found is if you're going to a one-stop accounting shop and maybe they offer bookkeeping and payroll and tax strategy and fractional CFO and business advisory and financial advising, all these things, and there's only three people that work there, they cannot be experts in all of those things. There are too many payroll regulations. There are too many changes to the tax code that we've been seeing. Those three people, there is just no way that they can be experts in all of those areas. So that's why I'm not a personal fan. Now, if it's a larger accounting team, maybe like 20 to 25 people, 
maybe they have little pockets where they have, you know, their bookkeeping team and their payroll team and their tax strategy team. And so um, that's that could be a solution. It just depends on how much um, one on one and, and what type of relationship do you want to have with them if they're a bigger firm, because you're probably going to be a small fish in a big pond. And so you're not going to have that close relationship. So if that's important to you, then that's probably not going to work for you either. So that's but that's step two of my process is are they qualified go check the um like you could go to to the louisiana uh state board of cpas down here type in my name you can make sure that i'm in good standing I, i'm i'm up to date with all of my continuing education and i've never had any i don't know what they call it but there's like some like infractions against me like if i've done something wrong right so that's step two and then the final step step three is if you find two people, let's say you're looking for a tax strategist, let's stick with that. And so you find two equal tax strategists, they are both qualified, you've checked out their credentials. Step three is to get on a call and talk to them and see how it feels when you talk to them. Are they aligned with um, how you think about money, how you think about business growth, how you think about scaling with sustainability, all of the things that you're looking to do? How does it feel? Because you need to have a close relationship with any money person that you're working with. You can't be scared to bring them, um, to tell them that you did something and you maybe made a bad decision. You don't need to feel judged. And so how that relationship is going to be, if it's going to be symbiotic, that's the third step. Because yes, you can have two qualified people, but if one person you're just not vibing with, go with the person that you're vibing with or go with the person who has ongoing support where you really feel like you're going to form a relationship with them because that's where the magic is going to happen in what they can do for you, what you're willing to be open and share with them because you trust them, you're confident in them. And so that's my third step to the process is, you know, if you've got two qualified people, which one makes more sense for how you feel and how you're going to work together? Yeah. So, so good. I think there is, especially for small businesses, especially under the hundred thousand dollar mark, because there's a lot of us that early on we're making 30,000 or 50,000 as we're getting started. I feel like there's a lot of shame around like excitement that you're making money, but also shame when you like, aren't really making that much mm -hmm. money. Can you talk to that? Because yeah. I really, it's like a concern I have because I think I felt it when I first start started, but it's really normal. It's really normal. And I think that we feel that even more so as women, or we're made to feel like this is our side business, or we don't really have a business, right? Because maybe we're not making uh, six figures, but I don't, okay. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out which one to start with. First, I want to say that we, okay, not all, most of us have to start somewhere unless you are being handed a business on a silver platter, which there are some people out there that 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 does happen to most of us have to start from square one square zero and build it and and so it takes time and yeah everybody has to learn like that's you know and it's it's funny because i remember like um when we were having our first child they asked me if the nurses could come in while while we were giving birth and i'm like absolutely because Everybody has to learn, right? Like, like we all have to learn. You have to learn how to perfect your craft, whatever it is in your business that your craft is. You have to learn. You have to grow. And again, we're wearing a lot of hats in the beginning. So if we could only do marketing or if we could only do client fulfillment or we could only do operations, if you only had to do one of those things, you probably could grow faster. But the reality is we're, we're doing a bunch of things. So know that it is completely normal 
to, and to take your time. Don't, don't compare yourself to other people who maybe hit six figures in six months. Good for them. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes and what they did to hit six figures in six months. And I've actually been asked this question a lot, Karina, in the last five or six years. People have asked me, well, why, like, why doesn't your business make more? Or, you know, because like we've stayed um, in like the low six figures. And, and the reality is we've been having four kids. And so I've been more invested in my family time than my business. My business has served me. It's allowed me to serve my clients in a way that I'm very aligned with. And so I don't, you don't owe it to anyone why you make what you make. And you don't even have to tell anybody, quite frankly, but know that it's very, very normal to take time to get up to speed and to ramp up. And another thing that I like to say, Karina, is we see, especially in this age of social media, we see so many people touting that they're a seven-figure business. But maybe they're only keeping 10% of those or less or less. It is. is, This is the thing that is so crazy to me, like that people don't realize, like you hear people who are like, I make this much money. Mm -hmm. But then if you really were to dig into their business, you realize like they're making hardly anything like for themselves. Hardly anything. And, you know, I used to compare myself, like we have a digital business. I would compare Mm -hmm. myself to physical businesses. And then I owned a physical business and I was like, whoa, that is the wrong thing to do because physical businesses, you're lucky if you make 15 or 20% margin, 10% margin restaurant business, nine or 10% margin salon business, 13% margin. And then my digital business was making 70 80, 90% margin. So it didn't matter that I made less because I made more in net. Exactly. And that is exactly the point is I see so many seven figure business owners who are only keeping 5% because they've spent $750,000 on Facebook and Instagram ads. And then by the time they pay everything else, they're only walking away with $50,000. Well, but you've got $500,000 businesses and they're keeping 40% or more of their revenue. So now they're keeping 200,000 to 250,000 instead of 50,000. So again, don't just because somebody, everyone is always going to post the biggest flashiest number, take it with a grain of salt, because I, I get to see the inner workings of people's finances. And I am here to tell you that most people are picking the biggest, loudest number, but when it comes down to what they're actually keeping, it's not a lot. So I don't know about you, Karina, but I would rather a $500,000 business where I keep 50% and I get 250,000 versus a million dollar business where I'm only keeping 5%, which is $50,000. Cause that's going to be a lot more headaches in the long run. Yeah, that is the way I think about it. I mean, that lots of people have always asked me, why didn't you keep Miniloo? And we technically still own Miniloo. That's our, our physical products company. I mean, we did the craziest deals. We had a deal with Nordstrom. We were in all these museums. We were in 500 independent stores. So it was like flashy, you know, like we were in a lot of places. But margin wise, we made less than Karina Gardner Inc., which was a digital design company, which is now yep. what I teach. It was just it to me. I was like, it doesn't matter that the numbers are so big or it mm-hmm. looks so awesome because my margin, I was just like, this makes no sense. Like, was I making money? Yes. Was I making nearly as much money as Karina Gardner Inc.? Not even close. No. And you probably had a lot more headaches because there were a lot more logistics that went into a business like that. Five people on staff, big warehouse you know, Mm -hmm. 
inventory, spending a hundred thousand in inventory coming in every few months. So it just like people want what's flashy without really paying Mm -hmm. attention to what's really going on with the numbers. And the moment I really dogged down and was like, this is what, if we just did this, I would make so much more money Mm -hmm. and I would be a little bit happier in life. Yeah. And then, and then I started teaching it to people and I was like, oh my gosh, why would you ever do a physical product company after after you know exactly what the margins really are. Right. And I think that there's, I think, you know, because um, I I read somewhere, somebody wanted, they were trying to cut expenses. And so they were going to cut back on something that was actually their biggest lead gen. And again, this is where working with a strategist comes in, right? And and I said, don't do that because you're going to save yourself 1% maybe in profit margin. You'll increase your profit margin by 1% to 2%, but you're going to cut off all of your lead gen. So then your profit margin is really going to take a hit and it could take you three, six, 12 months to see the full effects of that, but you're going to feel the effects of that. So it's, it's thinking about not just, um, what the short-term implications are, but what the long-term implications are too. Yeah. So it is really fascinating. I also just really think as women in business, we have to be okay with where we are financially. And if you're writing everything up and you're, you end up at zero, that's okay too. And that's okay for many years. Sometimes that happens as you're getting going. Now, do I want you to be there forever? No. Like the goal is to make money not just to write everything off, but to make money. I remember last year when we tried it, we got it down, we got it down. I was just like, and then this is it. We're stuck here. This is where we are. And you know what? I was like excited. I was just like, all right, I'm going to pay uncle Sam. And this is the way it is. And I'm so grateful because I made a profit. Exactly. And I think that, I think that there's that balance, obviously as a tax strategist, I'm here to help our clients who are business owners, you know, reduce their taxes as much as possible. But I do think that there is a mindset that comes with it of, you know, but paying some taxes is a good thing because it means I had a successful year. Yeah. Which is, I think there's something to that. I was surprised. I read a book, like a kind of a money book that was like, just be grateful you had to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that we were really taught. Usually we're kind of grumpy about it and upset about, I mean, last year we were saving for taxes and I was like, oh, I'm saving for taxes. And I read this thing and I was like, it's amazing that we made this much so that we could pay taxes. Yes. I mean, my goal is to take somebody who might normally be in like a 40% tax bracket and get them down to a 20% tax bracket, right? Because they're, you know, if, if somebody is, let's, let's say somebody has taxable income of a million dollars. If I can get them from 40% to 20%, that's $200,000 in savings, right? But they're still paying $200,000 in taxes. Now I'm using very easy math here, y'all. This is, that is not how it works. But in essence, that's, that's the goal. They're still paying $200,000 in taxes. We're just trying to save them from paying $400,000 in taxes. Yeah. So good. Okay. If they are just getting started and they would love a free guide, can you tell everybody where they need to go? Yes. So you can go to our website. It is www.terracpafirm.com backslash download. And I would love to gift you with my 118 tax deductions for service providers. This is going to be so helpful, especially if you're just starting out. But even if you've been in business for a while, even if you're maybe getting close to that seven figure mark, I guarantee you that there are probably I mean, 118 is a lot. So I guarantee you there's probably something on there that you're like, I didn't realize that that was a business expense. 
And it's so, so good. And I'm going to put this link into our show notes so you guys can link up to um, Kimberly's site. I highly recommend you download it. You will be surprised at what you can write off my design program education. Absolutely. It's like, I mean, it is crazy what you can write off. So go grab that. I think that'll be amazing. Thank you so much for coming, Kimberly. Thank this you for awesome. having me. All right. Design Suite members who are hearing this, I think you just recently heard her talk to us also in our last virtual conference, which was May 2023. If you are listening to this episode and it's been a little while, make sure and go back and watch her speak to us in Design Suite because she's going to give you some more strategies for things that you can do and a little bit like tighter for what we're working with in Design Suite. All right, guys, thanks so much. And we will see you soon. Hey, did you know that you can visit me at makeanddesign.com to learn more about this podcast and join my VIP group for weekly freebies? I can't wait to see you there.